everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers about writing, and very often those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show. In the case of this month's guest, Bram Riddlebarger, he was recommended to me by Noah Cicero, so go back and listen to my episodes with Noah Cicero if you like this episode, and if you liked those ones, stick around, because this one will be pretty good. Bram Riddlebarger is a writer and musician from southeastern Ohio, and the guy in charge of Gobpiled Press. He has several books out, both of poetry and prose, and you can find him on Twitter at gob underscore pile. But before we get to that, let's ask you for some money. You can give me a monthly recurring donation type thing over at patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. I have three tiers. They are all laid out on the website, and as of Recording this, we are 484 patrons away from starting Writing the Rapids, The Small Press. So maybe think about that. You can also throw me a one-time donation over at paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe. Or you can just keep on listening to the shows for free because that's what a podcast is. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Bram. I think the question I have... Uh, for you first is how you came to poetry as a form um, uh, to, to write in and presumably to, to read in as well. It seems like, um, you know, the the public school system, at least as far as I've experienced it, does little to inspire people to poetry. Um, so it's always interesting to me, especially when, with your poetry, which is very much, um, I don't know, not in the sort of contemporary milieu of like, uh, alt lit jokey type stuff. Like it's very kind of grounded and of the earth. So I'm, I'm curious where, um, where all that starts and comes from for you. Uh, well, that's a big question. Um, well, at the start, I would, I guess I always give my mom a lot of credit. Um, she got me and all of my siblings reading at a very young age. Um, reading to us, I guess, would be the, the start. And then, you know, getting us to be readers as well. Um, she uh, took care of her kids while my dad worked um, when I was young. And so, uh, and then she later became a, a school teacher. Um, and so she was always interested, I mean, before she even had kids and, uh, and teaching kids, she came from, uh, a very large family. Um, and her mother died when she was, uh, what about 2021. 20, and so she, um, was in college at the time and basically ended up also helping to raise some of her siblings. And so I think that also kind of instilled in her uh, the motherhood thing. I mean, she's kind of like that anyway. But uh, um, so she liked to teach kids and was pursuing that leading up to her having her own and then becoming, you know, a, basically a stay-at-home mother or whatever. Um, but she always... Uh, I know encouraged the reading and she was interested in haiku and things like that and uh kind of got us at least me <laughs> doing that early on i remember her when she started uh, substitute teaching um i was in 
I'm from a small town. So when she started subbing and I don't know what grade I was in fifth grade or something, like she was my sub even a few times and she would always mm. have the kids doing things like that, which uh, was very unusual for our town. But for me, I guess it wasn't so much. So, um, so I guess that was the beginning of my, uh, and I started writing stories when I was in, I, I don't know, very young. I have some very funny stories of that I wrote when I was five or something like some people have that are you know, pretty humorous. Um, when I, my mother kept them and gave them to me when I was a little older and I still have them now. So I guess I'd been doing it for a while. Uh, when I first started writing, it was really more in high school. Um, and, you know, I'm a musician as well. And so songwriting for me is also part of that. And I think they kind of go hand in hand as a writer and poet, poetry in particular and songwriting are often not terribly far apart. I, they're certainly different things, but uh, I don't know. I guess I've just always enjoyed writing. It hasn't, it's not something I had to come to, mm. nor do I necessarily look at it as a career or something, I guess. I just look at it as something I do. Um, this book, to get to um, the subtle chip in Ocean of Hills and Hillbillies Against Jesus book that I just put out through my press. Um, that one is definitely more grounded in uh, place and the earth, so to speak. And uh, I guess stylistically, sometimes I'm all over the place, but that one I think really started growing out of, um, well, I think going back to haiku and Chinese poetry and uh, Japanese poetry. I've always been very interested in those. and. Um, I guess the last 10 or 15 years I've been, I read more, uh, a lot of Jim Harrison mm. from him, you know, you kind of find people in different lines sometimes. And he was an easy one to sort of springboard uh, off of other people. Robert Vandermorland, who gave me the uh, blurb, which I'm just incredibly honored by because I actually found him a slightly different way, but he ended up being tied in to some degree with, um, that's, I guess, that scene of writers, which I kind of consider a scene anyway, for me, of uh, poets, um, Tom Hennon, uh, Ted Kuzer. I just think those guys are all kind of definitely very much informed uh, this book. I guess I was thinking a lot of, about their writing and have been for, I don't know, like I said, probably like 10 years now. And uh, this book, I would say, is more a distillation of of those guys to some degree mm -hmm. like their sort of style of again kind of looking back at um you know asian chinese and japanese sort of like the idea of you know looking at uh, the everyday commonplace type things but i guess trying to find some transcendence or something in that yeah um, i don't know like, i guess that's in a way what i was shooting for and also kind of reaching middle age I'm in my mid forties now. I guess you just start thinking uh, <laughs> about life passing and at this age, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a phase of my life. So hmm. I don't know. I guess that's my best long rambling answer. <laughs> sure. I, yeah. One of the things I enjoy my, my favorite type of poetry and I've said it on the podcast before is this like the midwest kind of crusty man quiet poetry 
um, uh, very much. And, and I did read some Robert Vandermolen before I read this book. Like I specifically put off reading your book so I could read some of his and the connection there is, is pretty obvious to me. Um, but poems like, um, like, like some stuff pretty early on, like Ridge or, um, uh, Chrysalis, like very just, uh, grounded in the earth is just the type of poetry I, I kind of like reading the most. Um, me too. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's because I've, I've also made no bones about being quite intimidated by reading poetry before um which i think is is lessening for me i think i'm getting more comfortable with reading poetry and kind of just being okay with not necessarily always getting it um but uh yeah there's there's something just really powerful about that quiet sort of you know i'm sitting on my porch and writing about what i see style of poetry right yeah i like that a lot um you know, and you know, I, I like to be outside and, and I don't know, let the bigger world inform you instead of the world of, you know, humanity that we tend to trap ourselves in little boxes, literally and figuratively. And uh, I don't know, it's also kind of an outlet for seeing things beyond, you know, ourselves or our, our humanity, I guess, trying to come to terms with um you know us being a part of the system rather than the system you know i mm. like to look at the world like that so right yeah that's a it's one of those like environmentalist sort of things that's been i've I've seen used a lot more is that the whole like we're not apart from nature we are a part of nature right sort exactly. of thing which is you know weird to to think about especially when like I don't know, especially in a sort of like growing up as a Christian context, right? Like the earth is given to to us for right. us to be stewards over. Whether or not we actually do very much stewarding is, I guess, <laughs> um, kind of evident wh where, where that is coming from. Um, yeah, I was raised as a Lutheran. And so, uh, you know, I, I find those things, so I, you know, I don't, I don't consider myself a Lutheran anymore, for sure. Um, but, you know, I think religion is still a good tool to teach you, um, you know, about the broader world. I think that there I think the lessons it can give you uh, at an early age can be really nice. Um, but, yeah, the uh, fanaticism is where I... I <laughs> Right. I think it just goes over the top, obviously, and uh, I don't like that part. But yeah, um, I think it can still inform your writing and make you a better writer to, you know, be familiar with religion in general. I, I studied a lot of religion actually uh, in school. Uh, I'm 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 really into world religions and philosophy and things like that. I, I think they're all fascinating, and you know. Uh, to get trying to find the the soul of the human there's there's some of it there <laughs> yeah I, i'm i'm so about that that um 
reading of religious texts from a sympathetic perspective, uh, I find I've been doing a lot of it in the past year, I guess, but um, reading it without that sort of like mid-2000s YouTube atheist, like I'm going to just look for all the contradictions and all the things that are kind of like morally gross. Um, right. And, and reading it and looking for the wisdom within it is, I think, a, a much better way to engage with it than yeah. than in a more cynical sort of way. I um, agree with that. But yeah, I, I enjoy the naturalism. And you, you came to me by way of Noah, and we talked about that a lot the last time I talked to Noah Cicero about, like, um, just especially like the, the Midwest outdoorsiness, which is um, the the bit of our conversation that I had with him that's sticking in my mind the most right now is the sort of like the people who walk quietly through the woods and the people who just like ride four wheelers to tear up hills. Right. And like, um, like growing up as a kid, the idea of being an outdoorsman or like, sport as an outdoorsy sort of thing hunting fishing um sort of thing was like never appealing to me and like actively kind of like made me already feel like i had a ruddy nose sort of thing um but but now in my adulthood realizing that just like sitting quietly under a tree is just as outdoorsy as anything else has been um really very useful in my understanding of why people like being outside that's nice it's a nice thing i love being outside um i don't know i'm kind of like you know most of the time i i want to be outside but when i want to be inside i'm very focused on my <laughs> inside activities mm. you know so and i love to garden and uh i work part-time with a farmer so I'm, I'm kind of outside a lot today was nice because it rained all morning so i have had the day off and could work on stuff for the press and some of my own writing which i my own writing is i haven't had that much time to work on much lately getting some of the other books ready for the press which mm. is a new adventure a new sort of stretch for me to wrap my mind around you know being someone else's editor and doing everything along with that but i'm having a good time with it right. especially with especially with the alan's book that is set to come out soon so it's been a lot of fun so uh, to that point, I, I am interested in in Godpile Press. Can you give an overview of um, the sort of like mission statement of that project? Uh, well, I, I've thought about publishing for a long time. Um, I guess uh, this past winter was really harsh, and we I, back to the inside outside thing. I was kind of stuck inside, especially a. January through February, it was just ice storm after ice storm, and uh, we're out of town. We were just kind of, you know, it's COVID and pandemic, and everyone was trapped in the house, and it had been like a year, and it just felt like the ice was encrusting everything. We were stuck in the house, and uh, which is good for writing. Uh, I get kind of seasonally depressed in that time almost every year, but uh, I guess it gave me a lot of time to... Um, work on thinking about what I wanted to do next. And uh, I didn't have 
I've had some not great experiences with publishing, and so I just decided I would try it myself. With you know, I have a I've written a lot of chat books, and uh, so I figured I'd just kind of use one as my experiment to self-publish and see what it was like. I like to peek behind you know peek behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz kind of thing. See what see what's out there, at least like in a small fashion, and uh, learn something by doing, which is the best way. And um, so I published a a book called the Dismal Cookbook, which is this very odd, even for me, a very strange book of recipes that are um, you know, very. I mean, they're they're dismal. <laughs> they're not like gross necessarily, but they're just dismal. It's, I don't know. It was something I'd done a couple of years ago and, and kind of kept playing around with. And I just thought it would be a good experiment because it was so much different than my other things to do uses my experimental base and it worked pretty well um and uh yeah i guess it, I, I was talking to some other writers at the time and um i guess it just gave me a springboard to kind of try to uh see if i could publish you know a few books i'd written my two books for the press uh, that we're talking about the la over the last year and a half and i had a focus already of this idea of place and those books are very, these two that are combined into one book, they're originally two chat books that uh, I tend to make chat books almost every year, or at least I do for a long time, have for a long time. And they're usually, you know, like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 pages, and I'll make 10 of them and staple them and go, you know, Kinko's or something and Xerox some pages and make a cover and staple them together. I've done that, you know, for 20 or more years or something. And, uh, so I decided to take two of those for one of the books for the press and kind of use that as my focus uh, to make a small press about, uh, again, with a kind of a focus on what we talked about earlier, like the, the ideas of, you know, Ted Kuzer or Tom Hen or Hen or somebody that like, you know, have this idea of using the natural world and realism to explore, you know, in a way, age in place. That's how I guess maybe I would look at it. And um, I didn't, I knew it wouldn't necessarily apply to everything the press did, but that was kind of my start. And uh, so I just uh, decided to do it. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a small thing. And uh, I went to a, I live in, you know, uh, southeastern Ohio, and which is, you know, pretty impoverished area, although Athens, the area I live is, you know, there's a university, Ohio University. And so there's, you know, it's always been a more educated liberal area within a very poor rural area. You know, it's, I don't know, I like to say it's like a sea of liberalism and an ocean of, you know, red or so, so to speak or something. Although, you know, I'm from the red area, I, I moved to Athens. 20 years ago or something and because uh, there's jobs here there's really no hard, hard to find jobs it's hard to survive around here without you know it's one of those places like in lots of places in america where it's hard to if you want a decent job and to stay where you live you have to be able to make a living so uh it drives a lot of people away from where they're from so i don't know i'm still here <laughs> that's where <laughs> the settled chip in an ocean hills comes from and uh I moved away and have come back and uh, 
So I've pretty much been here most of my life, and I'm sure I will be until, I don't know, whatever happens. Mm-hmm. I don't see that changing for quite a quite a long time. Um, I still love to travel, but I'm here. And uh, so I guess all those ideas um, are really kind of what the press is about. Um, and so I reached out to a few of my friends and uh, just sort of helped me get started. Uh, Devin Sams, who I, I loved his poetry for a while, and I knew his books were going out of print because I'd also released one of my books through the same press that had kind of closed down. And uh, I didn't want his books to go out of print, so I kind of talked to him about keeping his books in print and also kind of being a guinea pig for me to let me learn how to do things. And and Seb Dubinsky and Justin Grimble um, got a hold of me, also friends of mine, writer friends, and uh, they had this little book to that Justin kind of got a hold of me first actually about and said, you know, do you want to do this? And I liked it. And, uh, again, they were all in my, so I had three, you know, I was like, Oh, I'll just start there. You know, it's kind of a nice start to, uh, focus on this idea that I had. And so I guess it's just kind of growing from there. Alan Tenova's book is, was kind of shortly after that. Uh, I've been talking to Alan for, I guess, a couple of years now. And I really like him. I knew like kind of what he was doing was in line with kind of my thinking along what I, what I wanted for the press. And, uh, so that's where we are. There's a, a fifth book that I'll begin working on in uh, November from Wallace Parker. And, uh, I don't know, I have a few other projects that, you know, people have brought to me, but I'm kind of going slower at this point. I started out very fast and I, I knew I was going too fast and, but it, like, it's a good learning experience. And, uh, so it's been fun. Good. It's a little exhausting. <laughs> my own writing is taking a big back seat. So right. I have like five books going on right now on my own and I'm trying to figure out how to work on them and I'll work on everything else. <laughs> yeah, I saw that tweet where you were talking about um like upcoming projects. And yeah. it seems like you have a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I do. I yeah. actually have a few more I think than that, but it's just hard to get working on, you know, you have to, dedicate so much time to things so right yeah i mean i'm <clears throat> i'm the king of putting you know 10 hours into a project and then immediately forgetting about it and moving on to something else my <laughs> google drives right. is, is just a mess it's it's <laughs> it's a real problem um yeah. but it's not enough time <laughs> it does seem as though in your own writing you've had quite an impressive output um you know out, outside of your own press it looks like you had a book in uh 2018 2019 a couple last year um so uh you know w- without the interruption of working on the press what is your writing schedule uh process routine like i'm always writing uh, i guess you know since phone you know phones of you know i guess i'm in my 40s so I, I used to just always write notebooks and uh whatnot and now i just use my phone like i imagine most other people do you know phone notes are my main thing for just general ideas um and so I'll just store up those and I plug them in the computer or 
when I start really focusing on a project, you know, it's on the computer and I'll dump everything into a file and, and then, you know, the idea is just let it happen, you know, and mm -hmm. sometimes you can, you can make as many notes as you want, but until you actually start writing it, you know, it's kind of a discovery process as well, you know, so. I don't know, like I said, I, I guess I've just always been writing and I'm always writing and I don't limit myself on style necessarily. You know, I like to try things that are different. And uh, I'm a, my favorite writer is Richard Brodigan and my novels are certainly more informed by him. Um, I tried, I've tried to, I guess, get away to, from that to some degree. You know, I don't want to become like a as much as I love brought again and want to sort of emulate a lot of what he does, I don't want to be, you know, like just a, car, a Xerox candy bar, so to speak, like he would say of, of himself, you know? And so, I don't know, you know, you try to, like I said, I guess I, I get what I'm trying to say is stylistically, I like to explore other writers, but it's, you know, sometimes you got to do your own thing. And um, I, I spent a lot of years touring as a musician and I wasn't uh, putting out books besides, you know, stapling up my own. Like I mentioned before, I would, I guess I've always been doing that, but um, when I stopped touring as a musician, um, I guess in my early thirties or so was when I really started focusing more on writing. Well, that's when I first started being like, I'm going to write a novel. I've always wanted to, and I'm going to. And so that was how I wrote my, first novel earplugs i had actually came from a short story called earplugs that's um i kind of just used the short story as a springboard into writing a whole novel uh, which i know is a technique some people use i kind of did that for both of my novels to be honest it came from earlier stories it just helped me like rather than necessarily making an outline or something it was just like that was the I don't know, the, the center that everything else came from. This gave me a springboard, I guess. To, I just wanted to do it, you know, or write a, a novel, see if I could. It takes so much. It, it, I'm very, very slow. <laughs> written two novels. I find them very fun, but I, I think I spent two years or more on each one. So it just takes me a very long time. And then I just start editing and editing and editing and I wish I had a better editor for myself, <laughs> mm. you know, so, but, uh, I'm not even sure where I'm going, I'm rambling on here. I'm not sure what, what the original idea was there. Well, you, you stayed Bring with it. Back in the point here. <laughs> you stayed with it. We were just talking about, about the output you know, a, right. two novels yeah. in, in, in a couple of years is still pretty good, especially if you're doing poetry throughout that. Um, what was your, yeah. uh, what kind of music were you doing when you were doing music? Uh, the band I was touring with the most was, uh, how we call it, called ourselves like a, a juke joint hillbilly band. I don't know. We were, you know, it was like the rock of, it was, the, you know, the night, the rockabilly stuff was really popular there for a while. And mm. I love, I love old country. That's like my favorite. I don't know. I'm not. I like a lot of different kinds of music, so I'm not pigeonholing myself into one style. I guess when I first started playing music, you know, I guess top self guitar. When I was young, I was playing just whatever, 
I think the first song I ever learned was uh, Mr. Tambourine Man by Bob Dylan because mm. I had a my dad had a my dad was a musician and uh, had an old songbook. So I, my first stuff was I didn't even really like Bob Dylan that much to be honest with you, but, but I had a Bob Dylan songbook and uh, so I started playing that. And then you know it was like I grew up in the '90s, so it was all the grunge era stuff, which I really enjoyed a lot of. And I guess before that, I was in my high school. I was complete Metallica head, and the Injustice for All Years. I I still love that album. Um, but I liked Metallica kind of also because I like Bill Monroe. They played really fast, technical, super highly skilled music. Very. Very hard to do that as a amateur. Mm-hmm. Play basically, either of those bands. And I really, adm- I'm not that good of a musician, but I really admire both of their skill and speed. And so, like when I was the guy listening to, you know, Bill Monroe and Metallica, and thinking they're kind of the same. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. I played rock and roll. I was in a brother a band with my brother for years uh, as a drummer. I'm a very, very mediocre drummer, but. I like playing music and so they needed the drummer and I was so I was like the guitar player that turned into the drummer and uh, I played drums for years with bands and uh, I finally was like I'm gonna start my own band and play country <laughs> you know old country which kind of again at the time uh, turned into a sort of a rockabilly band because I found this bass player who had just started playing upright and then it he's a hell of a musician and it just turned out he could he could play the slap bass like no other like he i still think he's one of the best bass players i i'm we played with a lot of really good guys he was just an amazing musician and so i kind of dictated our style we just started playing country rockabilly type stuff because he was so good at slapping i was like there we go and we got a, a guitar player and a steel player who Again, everyone in the band was a better musician than me. I just wrote the songs and played guitar and sang. And uh, we ended up getting on a German rockabilly label. So we got to tour in Europe a couple of times and, you know, kind of gives you just the cred, you know, to play shows. So we, we played a lot. I mean, we weren't like, you know, professionals. We were, I call us semi-professionals, but... We played a lot for a, a while. We were playing many, many shows a year, and uh, it was fun while it lasted. I still enjoyed that band, but everyone gets, you know, families and stuff, and you know, the same old story. Mm-hmm. Start slowing down and don't do it anymore. Get tired of staying out until two o'clock for your fifteen dollars, right? <laughs> you know, so. I don't know. I, I I kept playing music in various bands and had a punk band a couple of years ago that was my last real band that I was playing in. You know, was, you hit your forties and I bought a Marshall stack and wanted to be as loud and obnoxious as possible and that was fun for about two years and, <laughs> and then I got tired of carrying that thing and right you know, <laughs> now I'm just back to playing at home whenever I want. I still just like picking up an acoustic and playing country songs really yeah but. i uh I'm, I'm fascinated by the the german rockabilly thing it's it's very fascinating to me yeah. how many of those like especially the psychabilly side of things like how many of those bands are german um 
yeah just just wild to me that there's this weird sort of um uh fascination with a, a certain type of americana over there yes yes we had a lot of talks about that because everybody in our band you know everyone expected us you know to be rockabilly people you know because there's that whole ro- i mean there's rockabilly people here you know right there's a lot of them but uh and i don't have a problem with that but uh we were not those kind of guys we were more like you know i don't know everyone had various interests of music but so it was always weird to show especially in europe you know people were expecting us to be super rockabilly type people and not, no one in our band was really actually like that we just enjoyed playing that kind of music you know mm-hmm. right but yeah that we had a lot of talks about that when we were over there especially you know because we were living in it and um I don't know. I think a lot of it, you know, comes from World War Two, after the breakdown in their society. That's what, this is, I guess, some of what we thought maybe was true. You know, after that whole breakdown of sort of the world order to some degree after World War Two, I think there was the whole, you know, the United States came in and I think it just created in a way that subculture of like idealism, American fifties idealism or something, which you know wasn't really that bad. We met some really great people. Uh, I'm still friends with, uh, like, on Facebook friends with, you know, one, the, one of the, the girlfriend of our driver. The driver wasn't isn't on Facebook. I don't think they still live together, but they're really nice people. But they were like that, you know. I think they're probably still like that. You know, they just live that lifestyle. It's very, uh, very funny, in a way. Yeah. He took us out on the autobahn and his. Uh... Oh shoot! What was it? I think it was a Chevy. It was this vintage Chevy, you know, like <laughs> brought from America. And like I said, these people, they like dress to the T. All their luggage is vintage stuff. Like they just live that way, like as much as possible all the time. And uh, and uh, so when we were staying at their place on one of the rare off nights that we had, the second tour, the first tour was just a blitz like 10 days four hour shows mm. and uh the second tour was a little bit there was a little bit of downtime we were there for a bit longer and then anyway they this guy jurgen the guy took us out in his vintage you know chevy and on the autobahn was very proud of himself and we broke down <laughs> <laughs> you know it was like the classic and uh standing there all these rockabillies on the side of the autobahn broken down in the car it was pretty irony or something i don't know <laughs> maybe it's not irony but it's humorous i still i have a great picture of it it's funny there's something quite poetic about it that's for yeah. sure i think uh <laughs> i mean because you know obviously you know the big part of that culture is the car thing yeah. uh you know so nobody nobody you played with had a flaming dice tattoo or anything like that nope no nope. wow some tattoos but nothing like that which again, you know, I I love a lot of that music, you know. I'm, I just don't adhere to the lifestyle, so to speak. You know? Right. I'm more of an old country music kind of guy rather than the rockabilly, anyway. But sure, <clears throat> I like anything that's good. Good music is what I like. Right. I just... stylistic, be damned, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I find that a lot of the music I get most enraptured with has um, a subculture sort of tied to it 
And so it's always sort of like an anthropological experience for me to like, whether it be like <laughs> crust funk stuff or psychobilly or any sort of like EDM rave culture sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I'm very much just like, uh, I went to school for, for sound stuff and broadcasting. So I don't like going to a lot of shows cause I want to make sure I protect my ears and all of that. And I got, I got married at like 23 and, I've always been fairly middle class. So like joining any sort of subculture is, is kind of ridiculous unless it's like anime or something, but I just can't get into anime that much to, to dedicate myself to it in the way that other people do. Right. Yeah. I'm like that too. I I find it very difficult to buy into any subgroup. I'm always on the fringe of it, I guess. I don't know. I, I think there's yeah, a, it's a good idea to protect your hearing because I'll tell you mine is shot. Yeah, <laughs> my left ear in particular just it's really bad. Yeah, working in radio, uh, like everybody I run into, I'll walk into a studio where somebody's listening to something and it'll be so loud, it's just ridiculous. Like, in or these people in their like early fifties, in order to hear anything, it has to be up so loud. It's baffling to me that. I don't know, maybe just back in the day that wasn't something that like people really thought about all that much, but like I can't imagine. Yeah. It sucks. I'm dealing with it the, now. The last few years have really started hurting me. As a matter of fact, I just went through this period where I I lost more. Mm. Like it happened about two months ago. I don't my ear just you know it always rings and it popped again and started ringing like really bad and i was like Mm -hmm. oh my god do i have water in it or something you know and uh it's just there i've I've already kind of gotten used to it again but it's it's causing me like noticeable distortion on certain frequencies Mm. like even at like a you know people talking and things like that or the radio it sucks i'm it's all the drum playing I did in the punk bands when I was younger because the, you know, the monitor at the local bar in particular that we played that was always really loud sat, you know, two feet from my left ear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always just put my face right into it so I could hear the band. You couldn't hear anything anyway, you know. Paying for it now. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I guess it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> but now I have how many years to look forward to not being out of here shit <laughs> right i'm i'm so like it's one of one of the reasons i'm uh you know i'm always kind of looking at at science at like stem cell research or whatever you know those those parts of your body that just don't heal for whatever reason like i'm very interested <laughs> in like making sure that there's a company a while ago that had um basically some they were like earbuds that were sort of a mixture of hearing aids, earplugs, and Bluetooth technology that you would like attach to your phone. And like specifically the idea was that like, if you're in an area and there's a specific sound that is loud that you can like tune it out somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not an audiologist or an audio engineer in in any sort of like physics or math sense but basically it was like the frequencies of like a baby crying you could like turn down you could isolate it and turn right. it down always been you know 
pro-cybernetics in that way. Yeah. I just heard some story about... I can't remember. One of my part-time jobs is a delivery for plant service, so I, which drives up to Columbus, which is about an hour and a half or so away. And so seasonally, I'll be in the... I'll be driving a lot and listening to the radio or something. And there was a, a thing just recently... Uh, dealing with some new ideas about exactly what we were talking about. Um, I don't know enough, you know, technical stuff to know about it, but it's, I think there's been developments in those sorts of things, or at least, uh, you know, they continue to work on it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't have money for fixing anything. Mm. <laughs> so, right. In the meantime, like I just like to say, it's Hank Williams, a very small. Hank Williams in my left ear. Mm-hmm. I can't hear him, but he's he's really tenny, like a '50s radio or something. <laughs> I like it. That's a good way to look at it. Um, to, to to reel ourselves back in a little bit, I I did notice that the uh, it was pretty obvious. The the first book in the collection is all um, couplets, and then the the second one is is kind of single lines. Um, right. I'm interested in in the choice um, to do that. I mean, obviously, at this point, I know that it's it was two different projects that that got expanded right. into each other. But um, uh, I'm always fascinated with like the parameters that people set on themselves as they're writing, especially when it's something a little bit more ethereal, like po- poetry or experimental writing or something. Um, yeah, they're different because you know they were separate and. Mm. Uh... I did set out when I did each of them to sort of follow that. Um, obviously, I don't. I never used to do that so much. I guess it's just a product of editing over the years, in a way, like where I've become more used to, um, as a writer, uh, trying to have some parameter like that, um, just to help me focus on the cadence within each line Mm. and also just to experiment with it um just because i hadn't done that before that's really probably the easiest answer there's really almost no uh, the first book i guess more so i guess it's easier for me to say i did that because um i was writing a lot of couplets at the time and so a lot of those poems were not like that originally like you know say when i wrote it but when i made the book i turned them all into that Mm. Uh, and so some of my chapbooks over the years, I guess I'd, I've been kind of working toward that. I didn't, I, I, I guess I don't like to necessarily have a system, that system. I like to break the rules within the books. Um, but, you know, I felt like those, that book just had this certain tone of like being focused on its, on what it was supposed to be, was attempting to say in a way like, through poetry. And so I didn't want uh, the lines or whatever to be a distraction to that. And so I thought it would be, make more sense to regiment the look on the page to give the poems more of a focus rather than bouncing around on the lines. Um, and also because they're about the land. And I guess it seems kind of contradictory to say it's more structure is about land, but you know what I'm saying? In a way, it's not. It's kind of like trying to give an idea of land to the page by structuring them like that. 
and the other one as well, where they're all single lines with no periods except at the end. Um, and so by giving them each a certain look and structure, um, I guess, like I said, I was trying to give more focus to the idea of the book as a whole rather than each individual poem, if that makes sense. Um, um, further, I would say I just like to do different things in different books. <laughs> mm. so, you know, sometimes just try different things. Those two, it was like that. It, I guess it was, it was trying to uh, force me to edit them a certain way as well. So the couplets as well, uh, I know when I wrote some of those, Devin Sams and I were kind of bouncing poems off each other on Facebook for a while. And uh, Devin, he's a great poet, and uh, I, he had written some some two-liners that I really liked, and I think he had an influence on me early as far as like trying to make them all couplets. And so, uh, I don't know, those two things together sort of just, by the time I got to the book, I just wanted to focus them all that way. Give them that certain look to not... Um, I, it's funny because I'll go back to some of my other chat books that I continue to edit since I was editing one this morning. And uh, I've done that to some of them in the past where I've like taken what were not, say, a bunch of couplets and turned them into couplets <laughs> because mm -hmm. of like the, you know, those books informing my editing. And uh, when I go back to them, I'm like, why did I do that? Because it doesn't work at all for those. And so I've like gone back and put their, you know, the structure that they just kind of tend to be in which, you know, is whatever it is. Um, and so I've uncoupled, uncoupled a bunch of mm. <laughs> things since that. Uh, I don't really always like the couplets, but I, I like them a lot in the Subtle Jet book. I think they work really well for that book. Um, they just give a good feel to what the story is supposed to be. And I always try to... I like books that are collective rather than individual, so... You know, like you, I could take one poem, say, from either of, of those books, and it doesn't necessarily have any reference point whatsoever outside of itself, which a lot of poets would find to be a really shitty poem, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But I find within the context of the book or the structure, it gives, it tells part of the story that if you take it out, and you you start missing something right away. So I like for them to be read in a sense as a whole. So, you know, it's nice to be able to write a good poem in and of itself, self-contained. But I like the idea of creating a body as opposed to a limb, so to speak. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I I tend to agree that um, I'm I'm much more of a prose writer than I am a, a poet but I do enjoy the act of writing poetry and I do find that in myself, it's hard to want to create just one poem, you know, like I always right. feel like it should be, and maybe it's like the, you know, the, the narrativeness of doing prose for forever that like, I want it to be in a, a more whole narrative. Um, and I also find that I tend to enjoy books of poetry more that do feel like the collection 
makes sense, you know? And it's not just like, well, I happen to have written 80 poems, so now it's time for my book to come out sort of thing. Right. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I would much rather read the collection as a whole than the 80 poems, for sure. And I think, again, you know, getting back into the idea of the press, like it's, there's this, a collective focus of, in a sense, place. Um, and, you know, I think it also comes from the fact that I've written chapbooks for so many years. You know, I do collect poems in, you know, folders and files and, and you know, notebooks and whatnot. But, like, there's always a time where I'll call them. And uh, a lot of them get weeded out. But, you know, over time you start getting, I think, better at just knowing what you have already. And so, you know, you know you're kind of creating this, like, certain story for like a year and then like i couldn't write the cell chip and uh, ocean of hills again it was like a time it was only a year or two ago that i st- you know, finished both of those books but i'm already i feel like at a place where i'm not sure i could go back to those you know i couldn't like write that book again right now i'm already moving on to to other projects that aren't necessarily that voice mm. but at that time I really like I knew I was writing that collection both of those collections they were I put them together because I knew they were so closely entwined with like my mindset over those years um although there was a little bit of a difference I I was bouncing between jobs you know the pandemic you know I was working in a a warehouse for a lot of that time full-time and the pandemic hit you know and just everything everyone's lives have been changed you know to some degree obviously from what's been going on the last few years and I wanted both of those books to you know sort of reflect that as well so changing times and inward you know inward and outward I don't know pretty weird but I like them to be uh, I like that they're both sort of uh, I like that they're both grouped together for sure and I liked uh, I like that uh, they sort of represent a certain time period for me that I'm not sure I want to go back to, to and I'm not sure I could go back to, mm-hmm. but you never know. <laughs> Onward to the next thing. I'm, I'm excited to work on some, some of my other books finally. So you can always dig up the past. Right. So what is your current focus of your writing? My current focus is the press. It seems like is just everything in my life is working on the press right now. So I, I guess I'm kind of working on other people's books more than my own and thinking about how to do that for future books for the press. Um, you know, some of which people have sent it to me and I'm interested in and the direction it's going to go. Um, finding it harder to focus on my own stuff. I'm, I'm kind of reworking a few of my older books. Like I always do the ones that I like. Some of them I don't like and won't work on. But, um, you know, I, I don't have any problem going back to older writing and working on it again and trying to make it better or uh, whatever. I, my new stuff is much more exciting for sure. My main focus the last year has been a book called More Animus Babble. Uh, I've published a couple of stories from it. Um, but it is my main focus 
It's a very different, but it's also very natural based, naturalist based. I'm kind of an animist myself, so mm. it's kind of a story without humans. It's all animals. It costs a lot, and they're kind of just like they're the you know, anthropomorph. I don't know, however you say that, anthropomorphic or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. like the they become the people and um. And that's a lot of fun to do. So <laughs> you can have a lot of fun with that. So I don't know. I'm trying to make it kind of a, uh, I like apocalypse type stuff. So my novels are apocalyptic and <laughs> mm. uh, are living through apocalyptic times. And uh, so it's another sort of apocalyptic animal book where the animals are in charge and there aren't people. That's my main focus. I have another collection of short stories that are I've finished, but it needs a lot of editing and I haven't really been able to devote myself to it because it's one of those things I know once I, well, I have already done it once and I got a draft and I know when I get back, maybe this winter, when I get back and it's going to just consume me again for a long time. And I know it needs it. I've sent it out actually to a couple of people, but I, I know it's not ready. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm also really happy with a lot of the stories in it. So I would like to publish it someday. Um, but it, it just needs, it's like a novel in a sense it needs focus hmm. or it will go astray those are my two main things uh, i have a children's book that i have tried to get an illustrator for uh, that i would love to have done I, I i love children's books getting way back to where we started with my mom uh, i remember being read to and reading and now i have children and i read them a lot of these same books i I think children's literature is, is some of my favorite literature, as a matter of fact. I think it's also what got me in, you know, poems and children's stories are often the same thing. You know, Shel Silverstein or something, just an amazing poet. Um, Maurice Sendak is one of my favorites, you know, Dr. Seuss. These are just amazing, they're amazing writers, just amazing writers. Um, so uh, mine is not in the caliber of any of those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's kind of a weird story. Uh, it's it's short, but you know, I want it to be illustrated like a children's book. So it's you know, it's like twenty pages, but it looks like you know where the wild things are or something. Just beautiful illustrations would be amazing. And uh, I've talked to a friend of mine, and he's too busy to do it. And I've talked to another guy, and he's like, well, maybe we'll get to it. So that's like just sitting there. I'd like to get to it someday, just because it'd be fun to have a children's book, but. I don't know. I have like five manuscripts more that, you know, if I want to work on them, I can, but I have like a horror story sort of, or a noir kind of thing that I've been sitting on. Just, you know, it just sits there in front of me and I work on it occasionally. It would be amazing to finish that someday, but again, that will be a, a different thing than different for my output mm. <laughs> you know, to be try to write like a, you know, the story you see on the bookshelves of people. <laughs> I don't really think of writing like that. You know, I like weird shit. Yeah. You know, it'd be fun to write like a straight noir or something, you know? Maybe I'm just not good enough. <laughs> but I'll, I'll get to it someday. It, it's got like some really good chapters. So I, there's a basis. I just need to, I just need to do it someday. <laughs> 
yeah it's a whole different skill set to write something that right um you know is kind of like straight ahead it's so strange that like that would be the thing that's difficult but especially on this show i've talked to so many people who that is like really difficult for or or you know wholly uninteresting but right i find it very interesting i'll do it someday but like i said i I need more story i've kind of hit a wall story-wise i Mm. need to figure out how to solve some problems that sometimes just take at least for me sometimes i just let them percolate until they come back out and you know i've got like the the characters i've written all the character scenes you know the building up the characters i've written you know i I have my outline in my head like i have the end and i have the i'm maybe not the end maybe the end of the problem Mm. maybe that's it i've got the you know conflict and all that but the bulk around it and the something to make it really good (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. what i miss the the linchpin (laughs) gotta wait for it to happen you know sometimes the news or something will trigger some story and uh maybe something like that will make it happen faster someday until then i have plenty to do (laughs) yeah for sure do you feel we've talked about it a little bit the apocalyptic stuff the 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 animals the land do you do you feel like you have um tropes or like a kind of through line throughout all your work um that yeah do you do you feel the animal stalking is definitely that yeah i have always had animal stalking i just like for the animals to have a say like I see a dog back there in yeah. this picture. It's like, you know, those animals they have their thoughts just like us. And we just we just we just think that we're the center of the world all the time. You know. I used to hunt and uh I don't hunt so much anymore, but you know, like you see people are all just the deer, you know. I've seen deer I've seen deer culture, you know. Mm-hmm. I know it's there. You can't tell me it's not true. So uh it's just different than you and me, right. so to speak, you know? So, I don't know. The animal, that's why I'm excited about this. To be, I, I started working on this one, I don't know, it was longer than a year ago, but I guess for the last year I've been, year and a half or so, I've been like actively, you know, it's on my mind all the time. And so when I'm working in the garden or working on the farm or doing whatever, I just let, you know, things speak if they can and so i try to just get the stories remember them and write them down later and and, you know let the creative process go and uh it'll all be kind of short they're all really short you know kind of like my um almost like prose poem you know type thing and Mm -hmm. sense of of length but again it will be a collective story of a bunch of vignettes so to speak of, of animals talking that's definitely one of my things for sure. I put that in some of my early books, and I, you know, it's the animals are always, <laughs> always have the animals start talking, and then I'm just like, you know, someday I just need to write a whole book like that. And so I am. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I think uh, counter to that, I'm interested in how you've seen your work change over the years. Um. Well, like I said, when I was writing my novels, I knew I was, I don't know, I, when I started doing that, sort of when I sort of decided this is what I'm going to focus on, 
again, sort of post playing music on the road or all the time. I was still playing music for throughout that time, but it was more localized. So I wasn't touring and taking up all my my focus in a sense. And um, um, so I guess to get back to the, I, I was like, I'm going to write a novel. And uh, I've always been, I guess, mentioned brought in as, you know, I just love, but, you know, my mom was like a hippie. And so she had a bookshelf. And so I read all of the stuff. Like, you know, when I was a young kid, I, all these books were just sitting on the shelf. And I, I remember finding, you know, trout fishing in America when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, whatever. And just being like, this is the weirdest shit, but I just love it. And uh, just sort of. I like many different kinds of writers, but I've always just loved, I love his playfulness and yet it's deadly serious. You know, there's a lot of problems there. You know, it's, it's very, you know, well, he can be not great. I'm talking about his good writing, his best writing. When he, when he's his best, he's really good. Um, some of his books are not great, in my opinion, but he's, I still love his writing. Um, so I guess when I was trying to start, you know, my write a novel or something, I always was like, I'm going to write like Brodigan, you know, like he's my inspiration in a sense. So I, I love his stuff. So I was really focused on Brodigan stuff for a while. And uh, I don't know, I guess that's probably one of the things I I got really tired of doing pretty quickly in a, in a way. I mean, I knew I didn't want to just be like Brodigan, you know, but, and yeah, I let, I'd certainly let his, um, voice kind of carry me as I was writing novels in particular. It's never really been like that as much with my poetry, which I guess I, don't, I really kind of consider myself more a poet than a novelist or something, just because when I write, you know, it's usually shorter things, and I guess I just always think of them as poems in a way. Actually, I don't think of them as poems. I just think of them as writing. Hmm. But when I put them down on a page, you know, they're short, and you just make it into a poem. Um, or a prose poem or whatever. So I I enjoy the short sort of. You know, I think our whole conversation is sort of obvious about how I grew up reading and stuff like that in a way that I just like that kind of stuff better. I'm I'm much more focused. Even in novels, I like very short, defined chapters. Again, something that draws me to Brodigan or something, where you're not just you know reading page after page after page after page of I don't know I've read all I, I'm, I was I'm not as much of a reader as I used to be when I was younger I was just voracious reader I read anything and everything for you know for a very long time I've slowed down as I got I've gotten older um, but I still my favorite things are still short and contained even novels um, I just like that better than getting long and drawn out not that long and drawn out can't be amazing like i love the russians i love all that stuff it's dust i love those i mean talk about great writing things like that are still amazing um but i guess over the years i, I i've a decided i don't want to uh just i get very ocd about the novels and you know i just well, almost solely focus on that and suddenly it's like two or three years and you've only done that and uh 
So I I decided I I really enjoyed doing the ten projects at once and writing my weird little poems all the time, as opposed to just focusing you know on the project because I. I just mentioned if I know if I go there, I'll start going there a lot, <laughs> which can be fine, but I didn't always want to be there. And so that just sort of changed my writing style and some, to some degree over the years as well. But it hasn't really changed all that much. It, it's still sort of, I, I, like, I like to think that it's serious and playful at the same time. It doesn't have to be like doom and gloom, but, you know, there's... I still like to think about the world at large. <laughs> Just try to make it a little bit silly, I guess, sometimes. Beginning here, subtle chip in the ocean of hills. Again, these poems are all sort of place-based about you know, living on a ridge in southeastern Ohio. Sometimes they travel, but not very often. The very first story is called Pact. The summer thunderstorm lights too late firecrackers over the river valley and ridges. Sight doesn't often project over the next rise here. And now the rain comes down. It is a blessing that shakes the valley, reminding us that we are still changing. This river is only a product of the last ice melt. The sky hasn't yet made a definite pact. The clay hills agree. They slide toward the new valley. We all try to escape. White pigeons on the 4th of July. The white farm pigeons have flown over from across the river and landed in the squat 1970s nondescript office building. Parking lot. It's the 4th of July and no cars are parked there. No trash can be seen. But the pigeons have a mission. They are pecking for scraps of information, tossed down like cigarette butts from the local FBI office on the third floor, gleaning what they can like small pebbles for their crops, something to make the whole affair a bit easier to swallow. Elvira. <clears throat> Listening to Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys at the VFW, or at the pizza place, or in the van, or anywhere really, was a part of life as natural as the birds in the air, or the baseball fields, or the river running through our town. Apple Man. When I was young, there was an old man that sold apples out of a concrete block garage in the summer, along a more neglected strip of our small town main street. He would sit there quietly during our visit as we walked the small floor. On the concrete, rows of wicker baskets held bushels of few varieties of apple. Jonathan always seemed present. There were always five or six rows of fresh smelling apples. My mom would walk around and pick apples Lodi for pie. The old skinny man in coveralls would sit with his legs crossed in the plastic strap chair of the 1980s, surrounded by the concrete and the smell, and oh, the high sound of summer apples. The 
a few more here. Ridge. Sitting down after our meal to look out the picture window, I see the turkey vultures soaring at almost eye level. This house sits high on a ridge overlooking the river plain and small town where I live. I'm thankful to eat so easy and have time to watch the skyline on this new spring day. At least I don't have to dive into something rotten to feed my soul. But there's always TV. Two more here. Some hills. Spring hasn't yet sprung across the daylight savings lawn. But everyone feels its furry comfort like a new coat. Bought from the thrift store for only $5.99. I don't like the rhyming ones much, but this one works. Tick season. It's tick season again. It comes along and there's little to do. They get a little blood, cause a few diseases. Not much, but they need it like Jesus. Blood is the body, blood is the plan. Jesus Christ, it must be tick season again.